He didn't give me an answer right away. He paused. <laughs> but eventually he said yes. And um, today I was preparing and I'm like, Melody, why did you ask Pastor Jocelyn to teach this? <laughs> why? <laughs> but um, I, th I thank God for this, for this opportunity. And just to share what I have learned, and um, I hope it blesses you guys. And um, it blessed me doing research about this subject. Um, let's go ahead and go to the first page. The armor of God, spiritual warfare. So we have been in the previous lessons talking about spiritual warfare, um, what it looks like. And we talked about the enemy last week and the different names the enemy goes by, Satan, the devil, just different things and what he's called. He's the called the father of lies and different things because as a Christian, we need to be aware of who our enemy is because it's spiritual. It's spiritual. We don't actually see him. He's not physical, but he is there. He's there. We fight this spiritual battle. Um, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The will of God is that you walk in victory. To do this, put on the whole armor of God. Some Christians are very concerned in learning all about the enemy, names, witchcraft, and demonic practices in order to overcome the devil. But the word of God says we only need to know our spiritual armor. No matter the tricks of the enemy, we have the weapon to defeat it. The Bible doesn't teach how to deal specifically with each of our problems, but focus on how to always walk in victory. In Ephesians 1.3 it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Amen. Amen. God does not leave us unawares and unprepared, right? He has given us tools to go ahead and defeat the enemy. Because we are going to face different things in the Christian walk, in our life or journey. We are going to come against obstacles. Life is not, like they say, a bed of roses just because you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You're going to go through things. And God is giving us the tools of how to be victorious in him. Um, the Lord has blessed us with all sorts of spiritual blessings. In Christ, you will have everything you need. You have eternal life in your spirit, all the promises of God written in the Bible, the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, and his fruit. And we know the fruit of spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, meekness, faithfulness, and dominion. However, once you have become a child of God, you also got an enemy. He now pays special attention to you. Welcome to spiritual warfare. <laughs> Since you have accepted Jesus in your life, the enemy does not like you. Matter of fact, he hates you. He wants to kill you. He wants to sabotage you. He schemes of how he can destroy you because we are made in his image. 
And he don't like you, Ryan. He don't. He don't like you, Izzy. He doesn't like us at all. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, this is the main portion of what we're going to be studying. Finally, be strong in the Lord. I like how it says, be strong in the Lord, because it's showing us that we can be strong in him. He gives us the strength. We cannot do stuff on our own strength. When we try, we fall flat. And we're like, why, God, why? In the strength of his might, God's supreme power, God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that works in us. It's through his strength, his might, his power. Put on the whole armor of God. This armor that we have is not ours. It's his. It's his special armor that he equips us with. So we get the best. Yes. We get the best. We don't get what we make ourselves because in and of ourselves, it's not going to work. <laughs> but we get his armor. He equips us with the best. And um, I was actually talking to my dad about this, and we are talking about armor. And um, he brought up a point that when people try to put on their own armor, when they try to put on spirituality as a religion, it's paper. Because it goes right through. It's not God's armor where it blocks and it stops, but it goes right through. So I was like, that's a good point, Dad. That's a good point. Um, okay, so you put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. God tells us to put on our armor. This tells us of a deliberate and confident attitude of taking spiritual weapons. This armor is the same used by Jesus. And he left it to us when he ascended to the heavens. He defeated all spiritual forces and will soon crush the heel of the devil under our feet. So Paul is writing to the Ephesians. 
So what's special about the Ephesians? We know that um, Paul had went there, and there was all of these gods there. There was God to the unknown God. And um, he was there for, I believe, two or three years um, ministering there. And Ephesus was a place where it was multicultural. It had a lot of people from different areas coming to that place. And so there was a lot of religion. There was a lot of philosophy. There was a lot of different beliefs. And the Ephesians, they didn't just pray to one God. They prayed to many gods. And there's this one God that was um, prayed to above all others. And um, Paul got in trouble because he started preaching the word of God and people stopped buying the idols for this one God. Um, I have her name. Yes. Um, and it starts, um, let's see, there's another word for her too that they found, Artemis, Artemis, yes, that's the one. And um, so they were making idols and everything, but people stopped worshiping her. They stopped worshiping her. And, they, and she was known as a god of fertility and protection. And um, so they stopped worshiping her, and then um, they want they, the idol makers got mad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they wanted They're to kick Paul. Yes, they wanted to kick Paul out of the city and everything. So this has happened, and then a few years, three or four years have passed by, and Paul writes this letter to the Ephesians. And so we know that the Ephesians, they have a spiritual mind. They were caught, they were searching for something spiritual, and so Paul was able to speak to them on this level about being spiritual. It wasn't something that was new to them. They believed in spirituality. They practiced like magic and all kinds of different sorts of cults and religion in that area. So what Paul was writing to them was on point. He knew that they would understand that they were in a spiritual warfare, that it was spiritual, totally spiritual. So, um, number one, the belt of truth, the part that holds the others in place. Oh, and one thing I did want to mention is Paul, he, he's amazing, right? So he grew up um, Jewish, and he went to Jewish school, and he studied the Torah, he studied the Old Testament, and so he knew the Old Testament. And so some of the imagery that he pulls out is actually from the Old Testament. We're, we're going to see this in um, um, Isaiah, and we're going to see this in Psalms, that he pulls out some of the imagery that he used. So not only does he use that from um, the perspective of being um, surrounded by the Roman Empire for the Roman soldiers, but he also uses the scriptures, which I love. He merged the two together, the culture, to speak to the, to the people. And we, uh, right now, are being spoken to because we know, we, we know history, we know what the Roman soldiers look like, how they were girded and everything. And then we, can, we have the Old Testament scriptures where we see that he pulled from the scriptures the imagery of being a soldier and the armor. So I really, really love that. Okay. 
<laughs> the belt of truth, the part that holds the others in place. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Truth expels darkness, frees from the lives of the devil, and is like a belt that holds the other pieces of armor together. You were set free because of the truth. So Jesus sets us free. In John 8, 31, or 32, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus said this to the Jews who lived under the law of Moses. Therefore, the law is not the truth. For Jesus said they do not know it. Truth is the grace of God manifested in Christ. The law showed the character of God, but Christ is the exact expression of God the Father. We all still have dark places and areas of bondage in our lives, so pray to receive light and thus live in freedom. Amen. I have a lot of stuff that I'm passing by because this was a 20-page paper <laughs> that I did. So hold on one second, okay. Um, I love the belt of truth because the belt of truth, it exposes the father of lies, right? It's Satan. So when you have God's truth, you won't be, be deceived by the father of lies, which is Satan. You have the truth and that's God's truth. It's not anybody else's truth. You know, how they say nowadays, what's your truth? You know, let me hear your truth. Well, there's just one truth, and that's God's truth, right? Okay, the next page, the breastplate of righteousness, the protection of the heart. And this is where we see in Isaiah, if somebody can uh, look up Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 17. And somebody can read that for us. Isaiah 59, 17. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a garment of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself Yes. So we have the picture from the Old Testament that Paul is drawing from, the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness is not what we do. It is a gift that we receive totally based on what Christ did. The Bible says we receive the gift of righteousness. Thank you, Jesus, that we have his yeah. righteousness yeah. to live by. Right. Not our own, because I can tell you I am not righteous on my own. There's so many times where I have fallen flat, made mistakes, made the wrong decisions, um, lived in the flesh, <laughs> and was it righteous? But God has given us the gift of his righteousness. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. 
If your righteousness depends on what you do, on your obedience, the devil will always defeat you. But when you believe that your righteousness is a gift from God and that you are righteous even when you fail, then you will have constant victory. The righteous live by faith, not by obedience. The Holy Spirit himself is convincing you that you are righteous by faith in Jesus. John 16, 10. You must be confident of your forgiveness and your righteousness in Christ. If you do not, you will never know God intimately or see the power of his resurrection. Philippians 3, 9, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Even when you fail, boldly declare, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Be aware of your righteousness by faith. I love that because even in the moments when we don't feel righteous, even in the moments when as Christians, you just horribly fail. I like what he says, declare God's righteousness over you by faith. Three, the gospel of peace, the shoes that protect your feet. In Isaiah 52 and seven, I love this because this is a beautiful representation of feet. We don't actually like think of feet as beautiful. <laughs> At least I don't. <laughs> I don't have a foot fetish. <laughs> That's not me. <laughs> but um, feet, you know, they—they're. You have your toes. You know, you try to make them beautiful by painting your toenails, and you know, I don't know. Sometimes it just doesn't work. But feet. How beautiful of the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Isaiah 52, 7. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. The gospel is the good news of the grace of God. We have received his undeserved favor, and now the result is peace. The apostolic greeting in the epistles and letter of the New Testament is always grace and peace, because peace is the result of knowing of the knowledge of grace. We have peace because we know that there is no condemnation over us, and we are no longer fearful. One thing that I was thinking about too, about the gospel of peace, the shoes that protect your feet, is um, in Genesis, how the prophecy of your heel will bruise the serpent. And the gospel, the message of the gospel, every time we proclaim it, is bruising the head of the serpent, is bruising the enemy. And I love that picture because it's something that when you, when you speak about Jesus, when you share about what he did on the cross, it's, a, it's almost like a two-edged sword. You're, you're reaching forward and you're doing God's work, but at the same time, you're kicking the devil. <laughs> it's twofold. It is twofold. Not only you're proclaiming God's peace and his gospel and what he did in your life, but at the same time, you're just like, mm, kicking the devil. <laughs> 
There is no way to experience peace if you still live under accusation and condemnation in your mind. We prove the immense love of the Father manifested in his grace, and this love of God casts out all fear. The more we taste of grace, the more we overcome fear and condemnation, and thus live in peace. One problem is anxiety. It creates torment in the soul. It is easy to become troubled in the mind and heart. The devil wants to disturb your thoughts by stirring your emotions. But it says in 1 Peter 5, 7 through 8, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We can let the anxieties of, of the world just seep in. If you have a big project and you're anxious about it or even being anxious about your children, I'm, I'm constantly laying my kids before the Lord. I'm not being anxious. I'm not worrying about it. But I do bring it to the feet of God and be like, God, here's my kids. I surrender my kids to you. I know you love them more than I do. And sometimes you're, you know, you're saying those words, but you're saying those words by faith. And you're just surrendering your kids or whatever you're going through, any anxious thoughts of tomorrow or your future. You're just surrendering it to him. Because sometimes that can, that can just drag you down. You can tell somebody's countenance when they're down and they're all like, oh, depressed or anxious or worried. We are God's children. We need to represent him well. And by doing that, we surrender our cares, our anxieties to him. Amen? So when you give all your worries to the Lord, you can't be devoured by the devil. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known, be made known to God. And I love this because you can take anything to the Lord, anything, any little thing. And I, and I love that, you know, uh, one of the girls that we met, well, I had known her previously, but in Mexico, Anna, me and my dad were talking about her and how she has just such a special relationship with God. And he told me that one time, Anna was like, I pray to God and he listens to me. And she, and she said, I was praying, Lord, I need some money. I need this. And she said, and she looked at my dad, and they kind of consider him um, their grandpa. And he, she said, and you came up to me and gave me the exact amount I needed. <laughs> she just bringing everything, even finances, your troubles, your cares, but any little thing, a house, bringing a house. You know, being faithful and, and, and having faith that God will answer your prayers, too. Because he answered mine, too. <laughs> this piece of armor is actually put at our feet, Romans 10, 15. In spiritual warfare, you must put on the shoes of the gospel of peace. It is with this shoe that we step on the head of the devil. 
Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. You can enjoy peace because the Lord has already, already given peace to us. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I feel like this is just such an important thing that we can't stress enough that Jesus um, and the apostles, they kept on talking about anxieties and cares and God's peace, that we need to have God's peace in our lives and how to live that out too is so important to us. It's a weapon. It's a weapon that God has given us to defeat the enemy because the enemy wants to see us defeated. He doesn't want to see us victorious. And so this is so important not to get bogged down with your worries, your anxieties, your cares, but always casting them at Jesus' feet and receiving, welcoming his peace, his shalom in your heart, in your lives every day. Your lives don't have to be chaotic. They don't. They can have God's peace. Okay, so next. The shield of faith protects the whole body. Um, if somebody can look at Psalm chapter 35, verses 2 to 3, and read that. Can you repeat that again, Psalm? Psalm 35, verses 2 and 3. the shield of faith. In Galatians 5, 6, where in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Faith works through love, and all things from God are received by faith. The word faith in Greek is pistis, and it means to believe that you have already received the provisions for your need in Christ even though you have not seen it yet. Faith always believes as it has already happened. The flaming darts are meant to keep us from trusting in the truth of the gospel, from believing in our righteousness in Christ, from walking in peace, and from having faith. The Greek phrase behind shield of faith could also be translated shield of the faith. It points to faith not just as trust in God, but also as the core of Christian belief, as in verse four, or chapter four and five and thirteen. Thus, the shield of faith enables us to extinguish the flaming arrows, not just of doubt, but also of unbelief and false belief. It extinguishes all of the devil's arrows. So if we believe that Christ has accomplished the work of redemption, then we have victory. Faith is simple. Have faith in Christ and his finished work. Believe that he can 
and he is willing because he loves you. The shield of faith protects the whole body and it protects us from the darts of the evil one. So I like how he writes that it protects us against unbelief and the wrong beliefs too. We can hold up that shield of faith. We can be grounded in the word of God. The helmet of salvation protects your head and take the helmet of salvation. God's word speaks of the hope of our salvation. Biblical hope is the confident expectation that something good will happen. This hope rests in the love of the Father. If we know that we are loved, then we expect good things to happen. And even in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for the helmet, the hope of salvation. And so he goes on to um, describe faith and hope together, that we need both. The word faith in Greek is pistis, and it means to believe that you already receive provision for your needs in Christ. And the word hope in Greek is philippus. And that speaks of the future. Hope is confident expectation that something good is coming. But you can't have faith without having hope. They work hand in hand. And the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation is so crucial to have because sometimes the enemy likes to throw darts in your thoughts. So I like to picture when, when I'm struggling with my thoughts, I like to picture myself putting on the helmet of salvation, knowing who I am in Christ, that I am his daughter, that I am loved, and that whatever I'm going through, God has me. I'm his. He has saved me. And no matter what I'm going through, the enemy can't snatch me out of his hand because we are in his hand. So I love the thought of the helmet, that it protects your mind. The salvation of God protects your mind. You can use that to confront the enemy that you, he can't get in your thoughts. He can't. And you renew your mind, right? You renew your mind in Christ. God, renew my mind. There's been times when, I've, when I have fought mental battles, going through stuff with my thoughts, those thoughts that go through your head and you know that they are not good thoughts, <laughs> I pray I stop and I just say, Jesus, renew my mind. Renew my mind. Renew my mind. Help me to surrender my thoughts. Let my thoughts be your thoughts. Amen? Okay, the sword of the spirit. I love this one. And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. It is very precise, extremely powerful, and can cut the works of hell to pieces. In Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, of discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Speak and release the word of God with your mouth. 
and you will see the power acting. When you speak the word of God, it is as if God himself speaking. In this way, when you release the word of God in faith, the demons are struck in the same way that a bullet can hit us. They fear that you will release the word for it is mighty. And when I was looking this part up um, in some of the commentaries, it brought to, um, they brought up Jesus' battle when he was called into the wilderness. And how did he fight the enemy? With the word. It is written. It is written. So our mouths are so powerful. What we speak is powerful. When we speak the word of God, it has power. And it's freshly spoken. He even talks about using the term rhema. Rhema, freshly spoken. So not, not only is it, it's a double-edged, right? A double-edged sword. So the word of God, the freshly word, uh, spoken word of God. I like to imagine it's both sides that we can use the word of God and we can use the freshly spoken word of God. When you receive a word from somebody, when somebody prophesies over you, that's a freshly spoken word of God. And you can use it as a weapon. You can use it as a weapon. I will grow in this season. I will receive the anointing oil that was yes. on the train. Yes. I will yes. receive healing in whatever yes. body part. Yes. It's the word, it's word and it's powerful. It uplifts, it cuts the enemy. It's like, mm-mm, I don't think so. I got the sword of the spirit. When John saw Jesus in the book of Revelation, a sharp sword came out of Jesus' mouth. Do not think that Jesus is a Fakar that swallows swords. The vision was a symbol that the sword of the spirit must be used through our mouth. The word in your mouth will produce what it says. It will bring life, and even more, it will crush the devil. Jesus gave us an example of how to use God's word against the enemy. When the devil came to attack him, what did he do? He said, it is written. He simply spoke the word of God, and each time the enemy came, Jesus said, it is written, it is written. We will defeat the devil with the same weapon Jesus used, the word of God. Take close attention to how Jesus reacted toward the persistence of the enemy. He did not say, it seems like this does not work. I confess and speak, but the devil continues to bag. I must find another strategy to fight this battle. <laughs> Jesus did not return to the desert to fast again, thinking that he might not be in a spiritual condition to face the devil. He hold fast, just confessing the word, declaring it is written. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Revelation 12, 11. You cannot defeat the devil with your own strength. You need the word of God. Remember that the word of God is the truth. Not what you see, not what you feel, but what the word of God says. 
Even if you do not understand or feel anything, keep confessing the word with all of your heart. The confession would generate faith in you, and this in return would produce the reality of what the word of God says. I love this. I love the encouragement that even when you think you're down, you think that the Lord doesn't hear you, you're asking God, when, when are you going to answer this prayer? When? You can encourage yourself in the Lord by declaring his word, by declaring his promises, by declaring what he has said. You can be encouraged in that. This um, last part, prayer in the Holy Spirit. Some people think it's not part of the armor because it's, it's, um, it's something you say, it's, it's something you do. Um, but I like to think that it is part because that's the most, in my opinion, powerful weapon that we have as Christians is prayer. And even Paul writing at the end of this letter, he wanted prayer from the saints. A spiritual, godly, strong man of God, Paul the apostle, he craved prayer. He said, pray for me. Pray for me. Prayer is so important. Prayer is, is like the lifeline, I feel like, the lifeline that connects us with Jesus, kind of like a gold thread that just, it's that communication, you know, like the telephone, you know, the old telephones with the lines and everything. It's that straight <laughs> communication to heaven. It's prayer. It's that communion with the Lord. Praying at all times in the spirit with prayer and supplication. When he says praying at all times in the spirit, that means your heavenly language. With all prayer and supplication. All types of prayer, right? We know there's all types of prayer, supplication, request, praise, worship, and supplication. Going on other people's behalf, intercession prayer. Praying for somebody. Praying for yourself. I pray for myself a lot. <laughs> I need a lot of prayer. <laughs> I do. Just to get to get through the day sometimes. Help me, Lord. Pour out your grace on me today. Learn to pray regularly in the spirit. What is prayer in the spirit? Paul says that when we pray in tongues, our spirit sincerely prays. This is so true. Praying in, in your heavenly language, I have found that in, in my walk with God, when I'm down and, and, um, and I, need to, I know I need to pray, I need that moment, that time with God to commune with him. And you know what? I always come out of my prayer closet different than when I went in. Always, every single time, no matter what I'm going through. He speaks to my heart. And even if it's just a simple comfort, knowing that maybe everything is not worked out yet, but just having that presence, that confirmation that he has me, he ha that no matter what I'm going through, and he uplifts me, he encourages me during that time too. And it's um, so joyful. <laughs> it's amazing sometimes. And I'm like... Just something so simple, when you think about it, something so simple, 
that you can do that connects you to God is amazing. And it changes your heart. It changes the way you think. It changes your countenance. You can tell when people have been with the Lord, right? You can see their countenance change, and you're like, wow, they've been in their prayer closet. They've been with the Lord. once a month, people. Yeah. <laughs> it's a daily thing. It's a daily thing. Definitely, yes. And I like how you say praying in tongues. Um, like Pastor Jennifer was saying, there's an edification that happens. Even though sometimes you don't even know what you're praying, because you're praying in your heavenly language, it's still edifying you. It's still lifting you up. There's been times when I, I don't even know what I'm praying, but I'm praying with, with my heart. Um, I, so I'm taking Hebrew right now, and I'm doing a word study, and I'm doing a word study on the heart. And the scripture, we had to pick um, through different scripture, and I picked Psalms um, 19, verse 14. And it talks about that the meditation of my heart Always be pleasing to you, O Lord. And I'm, I'm looking up the word heart and how it's used. And it's the same word in Hebrew, but it's used in a lot of different contexts. And just to give you a sample, like the heart of the sea, which means mist. It's using as a, mi a, mist, a mist of stuff. And um, so in this instance, heart is used as mind, the mind, right? And so I'm like, okay, so mind and then meditation. So I look at meditation and in the Hebrew, it's talking about a sound that you make in your heart. So not only when you use your words, but when you sing, when you hum, it's supposed to be pleasing to God. The meditation of your heart what goes on in your mind, let it speak, let it, let, let that, so when, when I pray, sometimes I'm like, humming, or doing some sort of sound, <laughs> like, a like a melody, it may not sound like a melody, but it's a melody, <laughs> but it's just that, the longings, and you know, that scripture that Paul talks about the longing in your heart, the moans and the groans that come from your heart. Your Heavenly Father knows that He interprets those sounds. Isn't that amazing? Yes. Like you can communicate with your sounds. And, and um, 
we were at a conference and the worship leader was talking about the sounds that animals make, especially like whales. It's like, you know, these, it's vibrations. The vibrations, our voice is made of vibrations. Our sound is made of vibrations and how that reaches to the heavens, how that's a sweet incense to him that even our sounds praise him, even our sounds reach the heavens and it's sweet to him and i love that so in your sounds in your prayers let that be a sweet incense to him you know the different sounds that we make when we um get a little bit older in age and come out of the bed <laughs> oh lord help me get off the floor <laughs> No doubt praying in the spirit is praying in tongues. Okay, we read that. Here's the scripture for it. For by people of strange lips and with a foreign tongue, the Lord will speak to his people to whom he has said, this is rest, give rest to the weary, and this is repose, yet they will not hear. When we pray in tongues, we build up our whole being, spirit, soul, and body. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, 1 Corinthians 14, 4. When we pray in tongues, the Holy Spirit helps us subdue our weakness because during difficulty, we don't know even how or the reason to pray. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words even when we don't know what to pray the holy spirit does and i love that that's a huge comfort for me because sometimes i'm lost for words i don't know how to pray what to pray lord how do i pray for this situation lord how should give me the words to say and you just start praying in your heavenly language. And that heavenly language is shoots straight up to the heavens. And you are praying what you're supposed to be praying. That you don't even know you should be praying. Sometimes you don't even know. You just start, you know, praying. I, I sometimes like even walking in the store at Walmart or whatever store you I just feel I feel this urge to pray. And I just start praying in the in my spirit because I don't even know who I'm supposed to be praying for. I just feel the urge, you need to, you need to pray. And you, and you just start praying. When we had COVID, we were in the mask, it was easy. <laughs> now you kind of like. <laughs> yes, go ahead. And it was in the time of worship, and I was just praying in tongues. 
and the Lord told me, I want you to go over and touch, touch Lana, just touch her shoulder, just pray in tongues. I went, okay. I had no idea that she was about ready to get healed. So I just, you know, she never said anything to anybody that she was in pain or that she had a problem. And I just was like, Shada. and I just went up and just touched her and just, you know, just prayed in the spirit and then just walked off. And she literally, she literally got supernaturally healed. Like immediately, she's like, when you walked over here, like, I don't know what you were praying, but God knew that I was in so much pain and I, I didn't want to bug anybody to pray for me, but you just walked over, prayed in the spirit, and I just got healed. I was like, oh my gosh, really? Cool. Like, I had no idea I didn't pray in the name of Jesus. I would just pray in the spirit, but God knew what she needed. And so sometimes there's things that happen, you know? Amen. Yeah. And one thing that I would love, love to say to you guys is, don't be too proud to ask for prayer. Never be proud. Because there's miracles in prayer. There's things that you receive in prayer. And um, to share a story, my uh, mom, she is super religious, but there, there have been some stuff that our relationship was a little bit broken because of religion, but we have been repairing in the process of repairing it. And um, one of the times, my mom, she was being super spiritual, and she was like, I'm going to pray for you. And immediately, got to be honest, I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> what is she going to pray about for me? <laughs> and I got convicted. Prayer is prayer. And my mom was praying for me with, with all her heart. Even, even though she thought I was lost and didn't have a relationship, her prayer was sincere. And it just taught me a lesson to always be humble. Be humble if, to receive prayer. No matter, you know, where it comes from and, you know, the... It just, it just humbled me on the spot, and it taught me a lesson not to be too proud to receive prayer because we all need prayer. Even Paul needed prayer, and he asked for prayer. He wasn't too proud to ask for prayer. He welcomed it. And I want to say it's probably the most important thing in the spiritual battle that we are in is prayer. It puts everything together, the whole armor. Without prayer, your your armor's probably gonna start falling or resting. And I feel like it's, it's the thing that binds everything together is prayer. Prayer is so important. Every aspect of the armor of God is important spiritually to fight against the schemes of the devil because he's scheming, he's trying to do you in basically but prayer what a powerful weapon the Lord has given us in prayer amen yeah. amen yeah. Pastor Joseph would you like to pray for us 